This episode of Katie Piper's Extraordinary People is brought to you by Twining's Defence Superblend. A delicious citrus and ginger flavoured herbal infusion with green tea, echinacea root and added vitamin C. Vitamin C supports the normal function of the immune system. Hi guys, we're at the Twinings Here For You event in London, going live with my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. (laughs) Thank you very much. I think lots of us identify um, as different roles, Um, and here today I'm in my podcast role. So we are here with Twinings today, um, and the whole thing behind me partnering up with them today is they want to empower us and encourage us to actually form some new habits um, and habits that make us feel good. So in regards to the tea, what I've done is picked a super blend that I'm going to make sure I make a new habit of drinking every day, and the one that suits me is the defence. So if you're already following uh, my podcast, I suppose you'll realise that that actually fits in quite nicely with some of the previous guests that I've been fortunate enough to have on to talk to me because they've all shown incredible defence, incredible emotional resilience. Um, And it's often a question that I get asked in interviews, uh, you know, what does emotional resilience mean to me? And I was uh, last night thinking about today and how I'd answer that question because it's such a personal, individual thing. You know, in the world of social media, people are very quick to criticise or correct us. And actually, I believe this is something that's individual to each person. So mine is born from an experience in my own life. And I've almost made it into a mantra, really. And it's something I always repeat when I doubt myself or other people might make me feel inferior. And that is that I am a stronger person than the person who harmed me. And I don't mean this physically, because you're probably thinking you're a free fruit tall, wrinkly mole. You're definitely not, not stronger than the person that tried to hurt you. But it's that emotional strength and resilience. And actually, in a world of aesthetic beauty and these physical aspirations of the body that we have, we're missing a trick because emotional strength is far greater than physical. And you'll find through your life that there'll be scenarios and, and some, some of the unthinkable will happen to some of us. And that emotional strength will carry you through those moments. <laughs> but as you can see, there's great correlation between us as, as a partnership. So we've got a lot to cover today in this podcast. And as you can already see from just the intro, I talk loads. So I've got an amazing guest today. He's about to come on stage, and he's a man that learnt to read at the age of 34 years old. I'm 35, so that's quite a story already without hearing what else happened. That same man then went on to graduate with a medical science degree at the age of 46. Now, that's quite an intro, and I don't know about you, but I kind of feel intimidated by him already. So please put your hands together and welcome John Spence to the stage. Hello, welcome. How are you? It's lovely to see you. Now, we started the morning. I said, have you travelled far? And I was just about to moan to you about my travel. And you're like, yeah, I came from Tenerife. (laughs) (laughs) So that is is quite far. Um, Now, welcome to the podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled that you agreed to join me and uh, my lovely friends at Twining Superblends today. Um, and, you know, they, they, they brief me on their mission and what they're trying to do, and it's all around sort of people embracing uh, change and sort of small 
positive steps to get the most out of their day. And I feel like we really fit the bill by getting you on. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, your whole story is about positive mindset and, em- and embracing change. So I want to start at the very beginning, which is your school years. Mm. And they were different to a lot of people's. Right? Yeah. Um, in school, typically, <clears throat> going back quite a few years, I'm a lot older than I look, by the way. So. <laughs> is, that, is that due to tea? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's the tea, definitely. <laughs> um, I was pretty much classed as a, as a naughty boy in school, which is a general thing for people who've heard it so many times. But the thing with me was... Um, I didn't know at the time I had several conditions and neither did the teachers or the doctors or pretty much anyone at that time. I couldn't read Mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't write. Um, The reason I couldn't do this is because I had a neurological problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, it wasn't seen. It wasn't blood coming out everywhere, so no doctor could treat it. So they just labelled me pretty much as a, as a naughty boy. And did you believe that? I believed that because they told me all the time. To the point where, um, when I looked at a page, um, the letters would move around. They would physically, uh, move, around. physically move around. They would come out at three D in me, and they'd turn like rivers. Wow. That on the page. And I thought all this time, right the way up to my early twenties that everyone saw the same. Of course you would, yeah. Because no one diagnosed me. No one said you have Erlen syndrome or um, <clears throat> your dyslexia is a very, very severe case. My hyperactivity, ADHD, was put down to uh, being a boisterous, naughty boy mm. who wanted to disrupt the school. And when people put labels on us in life, like calling you a naughty boy, I feel like once you get labelled, you act how people say you are. That's so, so when true. You're, you're told you're stupid, you're incapable, yeah. you almost conform. Yeah to yeah. that and especially when so many people tell you and I struggled so much to understand um and as a young lad I couldn't end through school um it, I, I ended up running away I ended up not wanting to go there it was um the teachers used to mock me the teachers the teachers did and way? well they knew I couldn't read they thought that there was some pretense there or something like that or I didn't want to or I was just being naughty so, um, and I tried to explain to them several times, they're moving, the words are moving. And I was told, don't be stupid like that. You're just trying to... You're a liar. Yeah, you're a liar. So, <clears throat> as well as being a liar and stupid, and they used to make a lesson out of me. And as a young boy, they used to stand me on the, on the, on the chair in front of the class. And on the actual chair? On the chair. And they used to give me a book, knowing I, full well I couldn't read. What, what year was this? This was... Between, well, this was in secondary school. I was about 14, 13, 14. Okay. And they, I used to stand me on the chair and give me a book to read. Right. And I couldn't read it. And I would get very embarrassed. I developed a very bad stutter. And you think the stutter was because, because of the Because of the education. And the teachers used to stand there and say to me then, look how stupid you are. Everyone else can read, you can't. How not to teach? Yeah. <laughs> How not to mentor? Yeah. How did you, would you react to aggression? I would, I would start crying, but I had to stay on the chair. And she'd get all the children to laugh at me. So were you bullied like by your peer group as well? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Right? Because once a teacher says you're stupid, then that filters down. And then everyone thinks you're stupid. And um, I, I was at a loss. I didn't really like myself. I had no self-worth. I had no confidence, you know. I could understand why, because I thought, well, everyone is still seeing the same as I do. Mm-hmm. And at this point, there was no diagnosis. There was no, well, there was no even investigation no into it. You were just stupid. Was, you were lying. Yeah, yeah. you were disruptive. This... It took its toll on me to very great, great lengths, mm-hmm. to the point where 
Oh, I struggled with the reading and writing, but I didn't understand either. Mm-hmm. You know? So I had to find some sort of coping mechanism as time went on. And my coping mechan- mechanism was to, was to lie, was to bluff, mm-hmm. was to try and make out that I did know things that I didn't know. So you'd pretend you could, would you pretend you could read? And, yeah, and... yeah, I would pretend. And it's very hard. Oh, you'd make excuses. Was potentially dangerous, yeah. like just trying to get the bus, trying to order food, read a menu. Oh, I made a big mistake because I thought, well, I've got to find a way. And what I did was listen to other people's conversations. And because I can't decipher the truth from not the truth, mm-hmm. I thought, well, if these people read, so they must be telling the truth. Right. So I used to, I used to listen to their conversations, and then I would repeat their conversations in another setting or another conversation or a place where it came up, whether it be about, you know, sports, um, cooking, politics, you know, whatever. And that's how a baby learns to speak, mimicking what they hear. But the thing was for me, um, because I didn't know what was right and what was wrong, you know, I would repeat things that were obviously incorrect. Well, I love Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't wouldn't go that far. (laughs) But I I definitely uh, repeat some things. And those things I repeated were incorrect. They'd make me look stupid. What sort of stuff? Was it stuff that would get you into trouble? Stuff that would get me into trouble and stuff that would offend other people. Like what? The things about... um, uh, Someone told me something once about pregnant ladies. Mm. That, you know, and... uh, not how they make the babies. I think I, I got that down to a T, but yeah. <laughs> near enough. It's like near nine enough. a.m. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, you know, um, something about the babies, won't go into it, but I said this to a lady, yeah, uh, or a couple of ladies, and I think I was very intelligent saying this, yeah, and it was very offensive. I mean, looking back now, you know, you can't say things like that. But I did. I clearly didn't know. Well, that's the thing, because you could be listening to, like, gossip, and yeah. people gossip, and I used it's to not to be repeated. Yeah, and then you go and repeat it. But what else were you to do? You exactly. Where were your parents in all of this? Oh, I had a very difficult, uh, very difficult growing up with parents. Uh, Mum was there, but um, uh, she, she was very busy back in the day, you know. Dad was never there. I don't really, uh, never really spent much time uh, with him before he went away. So, mm-hmm. um, so it wasn't, and then it, it was. I was moved, moved from place to place, and place to place, place growing up. So it wasn't that stable in any case. Right. So you and had a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, a lot of uncertainty. I'll just go back initially, um, because during all that, my life was very, very uncertain, and you know, it was a case of go to prison or join the military. Near enough, you yeah. know. And I actually then uh, joined the military. I, I had a big brother who was my who was my idol. Okay. Okay. And, and was life different for your big brother? It was a lot different for, for Big Brother and that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's family wasn't majorly close or anything like that, but he was still my idol, the only person who would listen to me, you know, even if he thought I was telling lies, because that's uh-huh. what it was put down to. So um, all your younger years, you were cast as a liar? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. It's very, quite hurtful. Very much so. Did you start to believe, yeah, am I lying? Yeah, of am course. I? Yeah, of course. And then you just do it naturally. And, and you don't... It's not malicious. It's not to hurt anyone. It's to cover my own weaknesses. It's to build my own confidences. But it does. I see how, it, looking back now, I do see how, how it went. And... And it did hurt some people the lies, but like I say, it was never meant for that. But maybe it was all you ever knew how to do, because it's like if you've been in a controlling relationship mm-hmm. and somebody tells you you're good for nothing, you're this, you're that, you turn into that, you believe that, mm-hmm. and and you know it's that sense of 
manipulation is, is so great. That is, that's very much so as well. And um, fortunately, I had a, quite a bad experience. Um, you know, I pretty much went looking for love. I'm obviously... So hold on, you left, you left school? Yeah, I left school. You had an O-level on home ec. I had you, home economics. Yeah, well, it was practical. Don't be there. Yeah, sort of thing, so yeah. I can scramble an egg. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> quite confidently. Um, yeah, sorry. So uh, by that time, you know, things were getting really bad and... You know, I needed some sort of uh, get out and the military for me was, was a blessing. They took me on back in, I think it was 89 or something like that that I, that I joined. But you had another huge secret. I did, yeah, I did. Uh, which was... I, I, was, I was gay, okay? And it was illegal to be in the military uh, at that time. What, uh, what year? Being gay, that was, 19... 80, that was 89, 1989. It was illegal in 1989 yeah, it was, to yeah, it be was gay. Illegal, and, yeah. and then they moved to a point where they say, don't tell don't see which means we don't want to know don't do anything yeah. but you know for those years i couldn't come out even so i was struggling with my reading and writing and i and i was and i was gay how long had you known about your sexuality how, how long had you been sure um to be really honest around about the age of about 13 but i'd always suppressed it always right. suppressed it and always had girl vents very beautiful girl vents like yourself okay well thank you very much <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. You know, looking back now, like for any young man um, mm. to, you know, wrestle with their sexuality and all mm. that uncertainty and the way you were bullied and humiliated by teachers, you know, what must have been going on in your head of trying to understand who you genuinely really were? That's like, the thing I didn't. So I, I created this other persona uh, called Johnny Boy. And this, so there were two. So there was, there was Johnny, John Spence. Yeah. And there was Johnny Boy. And mm -hmm. Johnny Boy was the. A very confident one, you know, who would go out there and see all the girls and uh, be friends with everyone and everything. And would you have physical relationships with women? Uh, yes, yes, right. yes, um, to a point. But then inside myself, John, I was, the, was the one wanting to learn, wanting to not lie, wanting to read and write, wanting to tell, look, you know, I'm, I'm gay, you know, mm -hmm. like that. But that, was, that had to be suppressed and that was very... That was, that was very, very difficult <coughs> in the military to do. Because knowing, again, you were carrying something that was going to make you possibly mm. be ridiculed, rejected, just like all those years ago at yeah. school with a pattern yeah. carrying on. And, it, and the pattern did, does carry on because if I look back, I felt if, I, if anyone knew or anything happened, then I'd be back to standing on the school being mocked on the chair. Yeah. I feel like that was a real defining moment in your life. Of I think anyone that struggled with confidence can look back at those defining moments where your confidence was shattered by somebody. You know, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's, those... that's literally the point where they broke me, mm. completely broke me. And that's the point, you know, where I lost anything in any confidence or anything in myself. Mm -hmm. But in the army, you, you became quite senior. Yeah, you yeah. Were, you, well, know, you did really well in the military. I really did. I had, um, and you know, as, as much as I scared myself, actually looking at it, my colleagues and friends in the army were actually very, very supportive. 
Oh, really? Very That's supportive. Like that. They so were, did you tell people the truth about the No, movie? not... They kind of guessed, but no one said anything because we were a close bunch. You know, we went to Iraq, we went to Afghanistan, we went to places. It's like another family, a family, you know, outside a family or a family I never had, you know, kind of that mm. thing. And, you know, I... So you got some of the acceptance. You yes. Missed yeah. out on. And a lot yeah. of help as well from a lot of my military colleagues. Uh-huh. Um, but Iraq, know. I mean, you're still putting yourself in hostile environments. Yeah, but th- up to that, that point, I, I was very... I didn't really care what happened to myself. I wasn't, really? I that's didn't see the future too much. And, you know, Do you think that's low self-esteem? Very you know, much low self-esteem. We stop caring, don't yeah, we, about yeah. us? And, and you think, well, if it happens to me, it happens to me, take those risks. You know? And, yeah, you know, I was a bit reckless. Uh, to say the least, um, but uh, you know, I came back and. What are you hinting at with the recklessness? Uh, no, just just taking risks, just taking risks with substances. No, or? with more much sort of, sort of my own life, that kind of thing. You know, doing stupid things uh-huh. and taking taking challenges that you would never usually take in in any sane mind. Yeah. Right? So then, from then, uh, the military really brought me in, and I kind of had a good sense of being there, and they started to put me back together. Which was fantastic, and the and how out in the open were you out about your sexuality? No, not then, um, no. and I still wasn't out um, properly until I had near enough left the military. And were you out about your mm, undiagnosed uh, condition? No, no. How no. do you hide that from people? Because surely there's paperwork. Yeah, involved. you have very good, very, very, very good friends, and that's the army. You know, you 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 battle together, you sleep side by side, and you become a bond of families. So if you struggle in the military, someone will help you. And technology advances. Obviously, we get things like you know the computers came in. My, I think I've thrown away my um, Commodore sixty four now. Oh, really? <laughs> you're I've making me feel old. I know <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'd be interested to know because this, for me, will really put into perspective your struggle. What did you come out about first in the army? Your sexuality or what was going on with your condition? My my sexuality. So it was easier to yeah. come out as gay, which was illegal. Yeah. And you had no, um, you couldn't predict how they'd respond no. than to come out about not yeah, being Yeah, it was take a risk with your friends and they were all brilliant and they were very true to me. And, you know, just after that, the, the law changed. Yeah, I think 95 or something like that, roughly the law changed. I think. But for me, that puts into perspective how, 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 how the severity of not being able to read and write, how much that plagued you and how, how it had been drummed into your head that you're worthless because you can't do this. And all this while, all these years, still undiagnosed. No. No clarity. Nothing no. at all. And, and, you know, I would rather have the pain of being mocked being gay than I would have, you know, not being able to read or write or properly in any case mm-hmm. um, and being sh- labelled stupid like that, you yeah. know. And, you know, and I remember the pain as a young boy I felt, you know, when that happened and it literally broke me. I never wanted that pain again. I never, I never want to see anyone else have that pain again. Like yeah, that. I get that because I think sometimes when we experience the real rock bottom in life, we sort of pro- swear to ourselves, I never want to go back mm. to that place again. And I know in my own experience, I've sometimes then sacrificed missing out on some things because yeah. I'm so frightened do, yeah. of going yeah. back to that place because it yeah. was such an awful experience. Yeah, it's, it's a place I never wanted to go back again. Um, and it's a place I still don't want to go now. You know, I've got a different outlook now, which mm-hmm. obviously will 
So when you did come out as gay, you weren't ostracised, you were accepted. No. So that must have been accepted. a relief. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a few people who raised their eyebrows and things like that. But, you know, these people trust you to go to war with them. So, you know, they say, so what? And a lot of them are very supportive, even now to this day, mm-hmm. and very, very good. Is it fair to say, though, there was a point in the military where things started to unravel? Because yeah. there was only so long that you could... I don't know if this is unfair to say it, but wing it. Yeah, I, I, you know, as you go up the military, you have to take more exams, and they used to fight me, and I used to do everything that I could. I was good at rugby, I was good at physical stuff, but I'd do anything to stay away from doing any exams. And you were a medic, so... Exactly, exactly, yeah. So, but you know, um, everything's very much, like I said, physical. It's how you do it on on the battlefield or, 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 you know on a street or in a barracks or anything like that. So it was yeah. very physical. And that was very good physical. And I was very good watching people who were doing things right and able to mim- mimic them. Do you think sometimes when uh, we lack something, whether that's in our mind or we genuinely lack something, we make up for it in yeah, other areas? Yeah, ways, definitely. Without, and that's where, when you have to really think the positivity and you have to think so positive about, okay, I can't do this like this way, but you know, there's more than one way to do it, even if it's out of the box but it's a, it's a way to actually achieve a goal yeah. that is not in the normal sort of streamline. Because this is one of the big life lessons I take from you is, you know, you forgot the things that the people said you couldn't do and you put so much energy into the things you were able to do mm. and you became the best in your field at those things. I was, yeah, very lucky because I did excel. And by this point, after leaving the military, I wanted to learn. You know, I'd been built up again from being knocked down and I wanted to learn and I did a course with um, part of the Royal College of Surgeons called the British Association for Immediate Care and well, um, you frightened that's education it was you? it was but I didn't read the course program I you thought it was, yeah. I thought it was practical <laughs> Look, can you imagine no that? I know we signed up to basket weaving or something <laughs> you wouldn't know I mean. but it was it, actually it was a good thing because when I attended that course a um, lot of doctors, nurses, and uh, medics. You know, I mean, that's intimidating alone. Very much so. Um, and I thought I'm out my, f- my field here, but I thought, well, I'll just go for it. You know, nothing to lose. So is that is that your kind of yeah. outlook? You know, nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Okay. Just go for it. Yeah. And so as the course progressed, I was ended up doing really, really well on the trauma, uh-huh. cardiac uh, scenarios, and things like that. And and it got to there wasn't that much writing, bit of reading and stuff like that. And were you just just hiding it all? Yeah, because course? I was listening to the instructors because they're really good instructors. Yeah. And, and you know, so I could take that in, absorb it, and spew it out. And it came to the exam the last day. And I had an A1 pass, an instructor pass. Wow. In in the practical. Yeah. And they gave me the paper, okay, of the questions. I think you get an hour to do it or so. And I didn't finish it, the paper, um, because I couldn't read. And I um, failed it. But this must have been quite confusing for the teachers because this wouldn't have been like back when you were younger where they would say, well, no. he's lazy and doesn't bother because no. here's a man with so much passion who's so intelligent, yeah. who's just flying through the physical side. That's right. They must have at this point said something doesn't add up. And they did, actually. Um, and in the instructor forum afterwards, uh, there was uh, one of my instructors, Dr. Victor Calland, and he pulled me aside and said, he said, something's not right here. He said, tell me, why didn't you finish? You only did like a few questions and, you know, you passed as an instructor. I've seen you all the way through the, the course, the five days. Well, what's going on? You must have had that heart-thinking yeah, feeling. But, but I didn't want to tell him. And I had to hold on to my own passion and pride because remember the last time I talked to someone that I dyslexic or I couldn't read or write the pages, I was branded a liar, stupid, 
you know, and I didn't want that again, and I couldn't have that again. So it was a self-preservation thing. But in a moment of epiphany, I don't know, I burst out in tears, and I wow. said, and I said to him, I said, I can't read, I can't, I can't see the questions. And that was a huge thing for you to come out and say. I mean, is that the first person in your life you told that to? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. And from then, um, a lot of things changed. How did he react? When he you reacted. He looked. He put his hand on my shoulder and said, "We, we can work with this." Oh, I love this man. Where is he now? <laughs> how, how wonderful, yeah. because how he reacted to yeah. that determined a lot of your future. M massively, and I wish the teachers had reacted like that. I mean, he went back into the faculty room where there was Sir Keith Porter, the head of the Royal College Surgeons, uh, Professor Keith Porter, and he actually looked at my marks, and they actually went through it with me verbally, and I passed as an instructor. So... So I had a phone call on the way on the way driving, and they said, "Just let you know that um, we, uh, the faculty, uh, the British Association for Immediate Care, um, have uh, all agreed that um, you should be an instructor." Were you on hands free at this point? I was on hands free. I was going to crash the car. I was. Had that I was. I never... phoned. Uh, you know, I phoned up. And I went. I can't believe this. You know. Yeah. And it was at uh, the doctors on the course and nurses and, and stuff like that. But you know, and then from then on, they helped me right the way through. The teaching, the instructing, you know. By this time, I had coloured paper, um, green coloured paper to put on uh, to read. Oh, so that would help. Yeah, the transparent paper. How does that work? Mill's learning syndrome that I've got is it's a neurological problem. So it's not optical. I can see very well, you know. But what happens is that there's a some some sort of cross wiring that's not correct. So it's in the brain. In the brain, it's not in the eye. It's not right? in the eye. So what happens is that if I see black on white, then for me. All the words move, okay, along the page. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they swirl and spin round, mm -hmm. okay. Other times they come out in three D. Right. Um, it's nauseating. It's horrible. So and you get physical symptoms. Phys yeah. You're sick. Yeah, and you've, you've exhausted, tired, and just trying to read a menu like that. You yeah. Know? Along with dyslexia and, and dyslexia ADHD. Dyslexia and ADHD. So I had right. no time to like stop and prepare myself. It was everything was 100 miles an hour. And, and this disorder, this neurological neurological disorder, you're born with this. Yes. And it's it's genetic, hereditary. I really don't know about that. Um, I know that um, it it could well be. I don't think I've ever written any read anything proven on it. Yeah. But um, there's a, there's a lot of people with it. It's a form of dyslexia, but a very severe form. Yeah. Um, and not everyone gets it. Not everyone gets all the symptoms. But then, but mine mine's the point. It's it's called Erlen Mills Erlen. Stress syndrome. I'm glad you said that because I had it in my notes. <laughs> I'll let him pronounce it first and then I'll say it. Yes. Yeah. So we call it Erlen syndrome, but Mills Erlen stress syndrome or stress disorder. When did you get the diagnosis? So you passed this exam, and I wondered actually, I was interested to know yeah. when you got that call that you passed, what was a greater sense of relief the day you got that call or the day you came out as gay? The day I got that call. <sighs> wow. The, the, because that was the point where I said to myself, there's something I can do. There's I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid, yeah. From then, things started to change. And this doctor, Dr. Callum, said, you need to go back to school. I went, never. Never on my life, ever. <laughs> ever, 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 ever. That please, you please. Dread. Yeah. yeah. And he talked to me, and a lot of people uh, spoke to me. By this time, you know, life was moving on. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd come out as gay, you know. And we're in the 90s so yes yeah yeah. yeah yeah and if things were looking a little bit brighter not bright bright but a little bit brighter and then i thought right i'm gonna go back and learn 
And this was the scariest thing. And I walked into the Open University. I met a lady called Kerry Wilcox. Now, before, just to let you know how I was feeling, before I could walk in to anything that resembled a school yeah. or anything, I had to make several oof, hundred phone calls to them first. I changed my mind four times about starting a course. Well, yeah, the admin to sign yeah. up for something like this. Yeah, I, I said, no, I can't do it. We'll help you. No, I can't. I, went, I turned up. I wouldn't go inside. I walked away. Did like you have that. anxiety? Anxiety, panic attacks. Everything was like, and I just thought myself, I'm going to go in. They're going to know I'm stupid straight away. I'm going to stand on the chair and they're going to laugh at me. Yeah. Because that's the only thing that was in my mind from school when I, I was younger. I feel like, you know, when we speak to people in the military, we often talk about PTSD mm. from going to Afghanistan, Iraq. Mm. For me, we're always going back to this trauma at school that sounds actually, yeah. it genuinely was so great. It was, and, yeah. It, and was. it scares me now still. It scares me yeah. now. You know, I can cope with that. But, but the OU did so much wonderful things that Kerry came down and met me and she took me upstairs and she got me in with this educational psychologist right, okay. who then properly diagnosed the Erlen syndrome, who then put me in touch with the Erlen Association. Um, he did, I, I remember him saying to me, he says, he says, John, he says, I'm going to have to stop the examination. The, he says, I'm worried you're going to pass out. Really? Why? Because I was into so much stress. Right. Okay. You know, my legs were shaking. My arms were shaking. I'm very, very nervous when it, when it comes to things like the that. real physical symptoms. Yeah. And, yeah. and he says, I've never seen anyone this bad. But in a way, was that, this is going to sound like a strange thing, but was that a good thing? Because it was somebody confirming what you thought you knew and you know it, it was like they were acknowledging actually this is genuine this is real absolutely yeah it was and it was like i was just waiting for any moment any moment at all he's going to turn around and say no you can't study here because but because you, you should go on to study. but i go i did go on with the help of the ou which were fantastic by the way amazing in cardiff and all the tutors around they all had a case history of me yeah. from the educational psychologists and the doctors everything like that so i was given extra time in the examinations and you, you learned know. with pictures is that right i learned with pictures i learned with voice um mm. and now obviously um i've increased my reading capacity right. to i think about age 11 i think no well, well, a little bit a little bit more than that so yeah <laughs> But actually, it, you know, you've gone on to get a degree. It took you nine mm. years. What's mm. the, the official title of your degree? It's, um, it's a BSc honours in um, uh, biological health sciences. Right, okay. So which incorporates um, medicine, uh, psychology, environment kind of things as well. So, and I remember the moment where um, I was in Tenerife with my now my fiancé, um, Alex, and uh, we were in a shop and I had a phone call from the university and they said, um, John, um, we've got some news for you. We've got your results. You mm. need to check your emails. Right. And I went to my results and I opened it up, very nervous, very scared like that. And I would have been happy with a grade four pass. To me, that would have mean I'm educated. I'd hate to okay. find out over email. Like <laughs> Exactly. And I opened it up and I was shocked because when I opened it up, it said, uh, John Spence, BSc Honours 2-1. Got me a two one, and I was like, "This is wrong. This is, they've sent me the wrong one." And I phoned at the university that lack straight of away. Phoned at the university straight away, and I heard this shouting and cheering. And I looked at it, and when, when, when the realization hit me, mm. you know, that I got the two one, and the fact that I was let down when I was younger, mm-hmm. and thinking what I could have been now. Mm. if people invested in me or not but you did it yourself john uh, do, you, do you know what i wouldn't even i wouldn't actually even look back and think what could i be now if those people invested in me i would say actually look who i am 
yeah. through my getting off my ass and doing it myself. There's so many people out there that moan about things yeah. and they stay and they conform to a label that society puts them in. And what I love and admire about you is you went out there and you did it yourself and you made it happen. Absolutely. You know, I mean, my, my ultimate question for you is how do you go on in life to be such a success when somebody so early on tells you you'll never amount to nothing? Well, the biggest thing... Uh, the biggest thing for me now is I've got, um, I've moved to Tenerife. I'm now getting um, engaged to my partner, Alex. He's a police officer in, yeah. uh, in the Canary Islands. He's been a very big inspiration to me. And, you know, from anything from reading a menu, when I forget my glasses, mm-hmm. um, to, you know, helping me with the reading and the writing. I'm actually learning Spanish now as well, which oh is really... <laughs> you gotta love this. I mean, it's just, it's just like, I'm now but, bilingual, <laughs> so, you know, see you I, later. But, I, but I, look at, I look at him and he's, um, he works in a place called La Otava, where we live in, in Tenerife. He's um, become the head of the diversity police right, okay. uh, for gay, lesbian, transgender, and all that policing worldwide. He's a real okay. activist. Yeah, and yeah. he went to Paris with the, I think the association is called Gay Lesbian, mm-hmm. Gay Lesbian Police, mm-hmm. um, and they went there for a big conference of how to, you know, change people's thoughts and how to do diversity. You know, I stand and watch him. I think to myself, wow. But he looks at me and says, says to me, no, wow to you. He says, look what you've been through, look what you've come, and look how much potential you have. And I always say, never look for problems, only solutions. That's a good one. Always. Yeah. I'm going to plagiarise no, yeah. that and pretend I made that. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Tweet that quickly. Um, now, with all my guests, I do, I sort of stalk them before I meet them. Mm. So I did an intense stalking session on you um, <laughs> last week, and I found a video on YouTube when you got your degree oh. and actually you won an award inspire award inspire awards yeah you actually now tr- you help children who like you were not yeah, given the, the right chance yeah. learning learning difficulties within my company that i've set up right now uh, patronus rescue but um going back to the the award when i got the award um i was presented the honors degree in in london yeah in the barbican and um you know, I had this the gown on. You know, I'd only seen people wearing these gowns. You I thought I'd never. And um and I remember going there and they called all the BSC on us and I went up, I walked down there and I just ran out. I ran out of the of the whole auditorium. Because of fear? Yeah, because of fear. Because what? I thought this isn't real. I haven't I still at that point, even though I've been given it, I thought I'm gonna go on the stage, it's not they're not gonna give it to me. I actually you know, thought they were not going to That's such a cycle of abuse when people drum in your head that you're not worthy. No matter how hard you try in life, you still get that little voice on the shoulder. It is, and it was, and it was horrible. And literally, I walked down there. Everyone else had gone, and there was only me left. All the certificates and everything else had gone. And the Chancellor stood there like that. And the, and the Chancellor said, I found out afterwards, he said, um, is there something wrong with John? Is it, has he got a sort of condition? Um, because they managed to get me up the stairs and two of the lectures my lecturers said you're going to get your degree one way or the other and they grabbed me by the arm and they frog marched me across the stage onto the stage and I looked at the chancellor and I was shaking and he said to me he says are you all right and I said well 35 years ago I was told I was stupid and I'd never amount to anything and now here I am picking up a 2-1 degree and this is the best moment of my life. And with that, he put his arms around me on the stage. He hu- I saw it. He and he hugged you. me. It's so and, emotional. And I looked around and everyone was standing up clapping. Yeah. And it scared me first, 
because I thought they were standing up to point at me and they weren't, they weren't yeah. actually clapping me. So surreal. And that moment will live, will live for me. For, for, for what a moment time. of pure joy. And to know that you got there with nothing but determination and hard work. Um, and also, you know, not to take it back to a, a dark subject, but you had some quite difficult times in a dark relationship. Very, very, yeah, very, very dark. And in, while I was studying my degree, I was, I was looking for, you know, levels for support. And um, I was looking in the wrong places. You do when you're vulnerable, yeah. Yeah, looking in the wrong places. And I met this, this person, this lad. Um, I thought he loved me. I gave him all my love because, you know, and everything. And he controlled pretty much my money, my everything. So he knew your yeah, problems everything. and he took advantage yeah. of them. And he'd read letters. And when he knew I was doing my university and learning more and learning more, he didn't like it. And uh, he got very, very angry, very jealous. And um, He wanted to keep you where you were at. Yeah, he didn't want you yeah, to progress. Yeah. He didn't celebrate your growth. Yeah, he said to me, if I ever leave him, then he would kill me. Several times... He attacked me um, and put me in hospital. Um, so it was a physically violent yeah. relationship. But I, I said, I've dropped the charges so many times. You know, I, it's my fault, it's my fault. It's, you know. And so he was. Always this pattern of blaming yourself. Yeah. Because yeah. you know? I had no self worth and I just wanted someone to. And anyway, he, he robbed my house um, completely, uh, literally when I was away working um, and came back just for Christmas. There was nothing apart from, apart from the dog. Um, and then. Walking down the street one day, I had said hello to a couple of friends uh, who I knew from school or from university. Mm -hmm. He didn't like it. And in the middle of Cardiff, he ran over and he bit my ear off. I've had the yeah. surgery uh, to get, to get mm -hmm. it back on um, for most of it, but they can't put the rest of it on. But he actually held onto my head, bit my ear off, spat my ear on the ground, okay, then kicked me uh, unconscious. What a vicious attack. I mean, how did you, how did you escape that relationship? Um, well, the, the, the police came to me and they said, this time, Johnny, it's not you pushing charges, it's us. And they what, said... The first time somebody believes uh, yeah. you in your life yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. And, they, and because I dropped the charges before, and they said to me, if you lie or don't give the proper evidence and try and protect him, then we will prosecute you, John. And, right. And I, at that, that, that stage, I understood... And I said, yeah, this guy's going to kill me soon. And uh, he gave evidence and he went away for about eight years. Really? Gosh, yeah, he well, went away eight okay. years. And he's got a permanent restraining order against me. And but at that point, I had done so well, halfway through the degree, that happened and I was back to the little boy on the chair again. And I wanted to give up the degree. And it was only the people around me, the close people, like Dr. Callens, like uh, the OU, Mm -hmm. um, tutors, Kerry Wilcox, it's those people that kept me going, kept me fighting on forward. And that's why now I think now my way is, the, is a positive way. Mm -hmm. So no matter what's happened to me in the past, it doesn't matter anything at all, I look where I am now. Mm -hmm. And what I do is this thing where I pay it forward and I try to help other people. Even with nothing come back at all, you try and help them. For no return. For no return whatsoever. And that's what I try and do within the company. I take children and adults to let them to learn first aid. But with first aid, I put in um, my experiences with the learning. So if, so if people need to help each other, and so I think that's the way... you're training medics, you're training doctors, doctors 
you're mentoring children. children. Yeah, a lot. Because your story, for me, to summarise, really shows the importance of a mentor and the lasting effect of how we treat one another as human beings. Because you have an example in your life of somebody treating you, Mm. well, many people treating you horrendously and the impact it had. And then you have this uplifting, phenomenal example of mentors that stuck by you and could see what Mm. was really in you and and, and got you to draw that out. And, you know, I say to everyone, like I did before, you know, everyone can learn. It doesn't matter what you learn, learn something, okay? And be positive, pass that positivity onwards. Uh, and I think that's really important in life. You know, there's one race, it's the human race, you mm, know? Absolutely. You know, and we need to help each other. Just one thing I need to say, because I said I'd, I'd mention it, that um, um, I, I get married to Alex in six weeks' time. Oh, you do? In oh, Tenerife. gosh, wow, that's yeah. 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 So, that's so amazing. Yeah, so. Well, do you know what? I mean, I couldn't think of a better guest um, here today to sum up how important positivity is and how actually the change lies within us and we are the ones that can orchestrate it. So thank you so much. I find you so uplifting. You've got such great energy. And thank you for coming on the stage and being my guest. You've been amazing. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Casey Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.